0: This episode of the Major Spoilers Podcast is being brought to you by Loot Crate. Listeners, if you're looking for gear, collectibles, housewares, or more from your favorite pop culture franchises, then look no further than Loot Crate. Loot Crate offers a wide range of geek and gamer items for less than $20 a month. $20 a month! What more could you ask for? Well, if you want to take it to the next level, you can get a bigger box with even bigger loot with Loot Crate DX, or if you're the type of person who likes to wear your geeky heart on your sleeve, Loot Wear is the monthly wearables and accessories subscription that you've been looking for. That chill running up your spine isn't your imagination, dear listeners. It's the Loot Crate October theme horror. Horror. Loot Crate is taking over 40 years of creepy, campy, bloody icons and putting them in this month's crate. Channel your best final girl with items from The Walking Dead, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and Halloween. Now, if you want to get in on this horror themes box, you have until the 19th, 9 o'clock p.m. Pacific to subscribe and receive this month's crate. If you miss that 19th deadline... You're going to miss the cutoff. You're going to be out. You're going to be gone. The the Loot Crate is going to be gone for good. So make sure you head over to LootCrate.com slash spoilers. That's LootCrate.com slash spoilers. Enter the code spoilers and save off any new subscription today. Thank you, Loot Crate, for sponsoring this episode of the Major Spoilers Podcast.
1: This issue, the dominators are on the move, and they've brought an alien alliance with them. Invasion! Plus, our first glimpse of the new Teenagers with Attitude, a crime thriller in the hard boiled manner, Scott Summers' missing time, and the kick butt poll of the week. Week, 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 week. Yes, we have no bananas, but we've got all the pop culture news that's fit to print from coast to coast, from stem to stern, from satchel to page. And it's on the air.
0: Hey everyone! Welcome to the Major Spoilers podcast, issue six ninety eight.
1: Oh man, does that means seven
0: hundred is just around the corner. I think it no, does. that means
1: we're marked down from seven fifty for easy
0: clearance. <laughs> uh, Ashley is here. Ashley, welcome back from the New York Comic Con.
2: Thank you so much. How was it? It was really good. It was a good time. I only went for two days <laughs> they, they said, and then I didn't go back. <laughs> yeah, they
0: said that uh, 180 that 185,000 unique tickets were sold, which was up 11% they, from last know, year.
2: People say those things when they work at a convention. I never know if I believe those things that people say. Did it seem uh, there? Yes. The Javits center is entirely too small to host an event of that size. Uh, now they ship a lot of their quote, hall H style panels out to Madison Square Garden, which Mm -hmm. is close, but like not that close. Right. But because they don't want to have it in Jersey where all the New York based sports teams are and they insist on having it on the island, we're stuck at the Javits Center, um, which I'm sure is a great convention center for anything other than (laughs) Comic-Con. It
0: it seemed like a lot of things were going on. What was the uh, what were you there for?
2: Um, I was mostly there for my own selfish (laughs) interest. I didn't, I didn't have to go. I didn't, nobody paid me to go. I didn't go for work. Um, I was on the Collider Heroes panel on Thursday, which was super great. And then, uh, Jason Inman and I palled around, uh, selling the if anthology that we have the first story in, uh, which you could get early there. It comes out everywhere else on November 30th. We had it way early. Um, and then just to talk to a couple people and uh, then do New York stuff.
0: Yeah, what kind of New York did you go see any um, any shows or anything?:
2: uh, We saw The Humans, which won the Tony Award for Best Play last year and stars the vice president from House of Guards.: Cool. Uh, he was really he was really good. Uh, and then I really wanted to see Langston Hughes house because uh, they're talking about tearing it down and not preserving it, even though it is a historic landmark. Uh, and we watched Luke Cage in Harlem. So that was like really cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and ate at Sylvia's. So we had, I feel like, a very uh, uh wide, wide array of cultural Harlem experiences. And then uh, I went to the start, the Intrepid, USS Intrepid, their Star Trek experience oh, right. on Sunday and got super rained on. And then I went to a real New York laundromat to dry my <laughs> shoes.
0: I was wondering why I thought maybe you guys <laughs> ran out of clothes. While you were there and it's just like, well, I'm going to wash my clothes before we head back. But I did see your your Star Trek experience stuff. And that looked like a fun exhibit.
2: It was awesome. They had a lot of uh, they give you like a wristband when you go in and you can interact with the different exhibits. So like you can you stand on a green screen and you can like make yourself beam oh, cool. out and then you can try to be in the different uh, branches of Starfleet. So I was trying to be a medical officer and, uh, it asked you like, which of these, uh, Star Trek doctors do you admire the most? And I picked Julian Bashir and I then mean. got like chided for, for like picking the hot guy. I was like, oh, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, we're glad you had uh, a, it was a really, fun time. It was
2: really, really fun. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And we're glad yeah. you're back. Rodrigo is out this week. He should return next week. Uh, Matthew is here. Anything exciting going on with you, Matthew?
1: Uh, I got new shoes and a haircut. Awesome. I nice. uh, yeah. I didn't I even go, I to go to the convention. Yeah.
0: I didn't go to the convention, but I feel like I caught the con crud. So I'm running on about 42 uh, percent power today.
1: Me so, too. In, in the con crud's defense, you have been coughing for the last five I years know. or so.
0: I know every every every. every...
2: But but only only in the latter half of the year though. No, it's
0: always between yeah. August and November is when this thing comes up.
1: And then Yeah, and it seems like it is like all the way from August to November. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right about the time school starts, I think the weather changes. you consult your pulmonologist.
0: It might be, but um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe an allergist. It might be allergies. You know, I think need, it might be like an a otolaryngologist. pneumonia thing from years ago. Ugh, so well, let worst. us get to some news. Do, 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 do. Three stories on the wheel this week. Supergirl wows on the CW. Batwoman gets a new series in 2017. And the first trailer for the Power Rangers has arrived. Let us spin that wheel of destiny. Let's see where we land. I got to say, having a superhero smile really changes the direction of a television show. Uh, right? But there it lands, right there on the first trailer for the Power Rangers has arrived. This was uh, up at the New York Comic Con. They had everybody up on stage. We saw some new posters uh, earlier this week or earlier last week that featured their costumes with that pearlescent uh, paint job going on on there. And then we got the yeah. uh, the first trailer, which didn't really show... Power Ranger action, but it did kind of show them finding their their little badges and Mm. uh, doing some superhero stuffs.
1: Power coins. Yes, that's what they are.
0: Power badges. What would you think, Matthew? They don't
1: need no stinking badges. What did I think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think Chronicle was one hell of a movie. (laughs) And uh, this trailer... Yeah, it kind of was. And that's the thing about it. I feel like this trailer really wants me to believe that this is something in the chronicle type vein that this is you know this is a a an in-depth look at teenagers getting superpowers and maybe a metaphor for you know going through puberty and doing your whole thing and life changing and oh oh wow we're going to be superheroes now and we have to deal with our massive strength and our weird hormones and all these crazy things and i'm like okay that's that's a thing so I still, it's not something that has alienated me from it, but you have to keep in mind when they say this is not your father's Power Rangers, I am in fact literally the father of which they speak. So I, I'm, I don't know. I, I'm one of those people who I'm not going to be surprised if I, if I watch this movie or if I catch it in theaters and it alienates me because it's not their father's Power but, Rangers, but, this, but I mean, this, this has got me interested in parts of it. I
0: yeah, I'm, I'm curious because I mean, it's Power Rangers, right? And so you have a bunch of different Power Rangers with a bunch of different zords and different costumes and different uh, team members. It seems like this would be, you know, just another team, just another tale that you tell with uh, kids in, in Power Ranger suits. No?
1: Well, no, because I don't think they're looking at it like that. I really honestly don't think that they're looking at that legacy aspect at all. Because if they were, we wouldn't be going back to the first season names and, and mm, concepts. True, true, and, true, true. And helmets, not necessarily costumes. Because I will say this, the Ranger costumes used in that first season of Power Ranger are some of the strongest costumes coming out of Super Sentai. And the changes that they've made to them have really homogenized them for me so
2: iron power
1: rangers right that's that's a hurdle to overcome and i think that the idea of young kids who get superpowers is one that has you know a a lot of mileage left in it but we've talked many many times about the fact that spider-man has had five movie origins in the past 10 years and Well, it's hard to start a new franchise, a brand new thing. Well, not a brand new thing, but a new series of thing without doing some sort of origin. So, I'm, you know, I'm down with that.
0: I guess I look at And again, I'm not as invested in the Power Rangers or the, um, um, the Super, Super, Sentai. Super Sentai series like you are. Uh, I look at this and I'm like, it looks interesting. It's not for me, but I could really see both my kids. Jumping all yeah. over this because it does have, as you said, I don't know if I would call them "quote unquote" superheroes as much as uh, you know robot drivers.
1: um Robot drivers. <laughs> well, they, they clearly have superpowers because at one point yeah, one of them jumping over the a sink accidentally. Yeah,
0: I wonder. Ashley, what was your reaction to all of this?
2: Uh, I think they look like Iron Man. Um mm. <laughs> I think I've I've said this in many places, including a geek history lesson where we had Matthew teach the lesson on Power Rangers that my knowledge of Power Rangers um and 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 whatever it may be derivative of is is limited at best. And I was really hoping that this would be more in the Pacific Rim kind of vein and it would be mm-hmm. a really exciting trailer. For me, I think it looks it looks fine. Um, and if not particularly inspired, but yeah. it doesn't make me not want to go see the movie.
0: Do, do you think this? this is but is right? it's, it's
2: also, uh, I'm sorry, what?
0: I was going to say, does this feel like it is something that will kick off another huge Power Rangers craze like we had back in the, in the nineties and early two thousands where, you know, every kid needed to have a Power Rangers toy for Christmas or is this oh, just another, uh, uh, you know.
2: No, I think this is uh, what's the studio that's producing it? I, don't I think know. this legendary. is I think this is uh, if it is legendary. Lionsgate. I, oh, Lionsgate. oh, yeah. Lionsgate. So Lionsgate is I, 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 I want to swear, but I know that's like not the thing. Uh, they're desperate for a franchise because uh, their, their whole divergent thing didn't mm-hmm. go so well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're hoping that that is what Power Rangers could be. It feels like it hits enough of those beats and it's got young, cool, sexy people and we ripped off Iron Man and everyone really likes Iron Man. Um, I know you couldn't put them back in the body sockings, but there is something to be said for the body sockings. Yeah. Um, I don't know. To me, it doesn't look as kid friendly as the show looked. Mm-hmm. So it, it's going to depend, I think, on what rating comes down the tube for it. But I think because we've seen it before, I think it's going to be harder to get people excited for it. Let me
1: ask
0: you this, this weird. Go ahead, Matthew.
1: I think if I'm looking at this, this reminds me of two things, one in a good way and one in a way that is terrifying. Um, when I look at the trailer, just parts of it remind me so much of the trailer for a uh, fan four stick that came out last year with the new
0: mm-hmm. dark and
1: Frassum fantastic four. That's the bad part. The good part, I guess from a money perspective is that this looks like the, the visceral response that I have to this knowing power Rangers is almost the same response that I had to Michael Bay's transformers knowing G one transformers, which is man. They've taken the names of the things that I love and sure put them in this action movie. And that may be a selling point. This could be the thing that, Makes that new iteration of Power Rangers stick the way the new iteration of Transformers did with the kids five, six, seven years ago, whenever that mess came out. So I don't know. I mean, it, it, it could be. I'm obviously not a good uh, bellwether of what kids will love either. So
0: I, I wonder did either of you get to see the Joseph Kahn, Adi Shakar, uh, Power Rangers unauthorized bootleg movie, the fan film thing?
1: Uh, with the thing, thing with, with
0: Dawson.
2: Uh, yeah. See parts of it. I
1: hated that. I hated every second of that.
0: I wonder, I, I wonder though, because that was such a huge, a huge big deal a year ago.
2: Yeah, they got sued.
0: Yeah, they did. Uh, they worked it out though. Mm. You can still see the, yeah, online. Yeah. I wonder if, if there is any carryover from that fan film to this. If it's got expectations going a, uh, a certain direction or if, I mean, they kind of look kind of that dark, gritty, blue and gold kind of look going on. Yeah, but
1: them. all all movies look I like know. that these days.
0: Well, except for Monster Trucks. Yeah, Monster Trucks.
1: Uh, <laughs> I really hope not because here's the thing about that movie. Monster um, Trucks? You know. No. Oh. Uh, that Power Hack slash Rangers sure. thing that. You know how when you go on the internet and something, let's say a cartoon, a cool cartoon like, say, Steven Universe pops up, there's always that one guy who's like, what if Steven really doesn't have superpowers and this is just his dying dream and he's terribly injured and he's bleeding to death somewhere and he's imagining having superpowers and this series of moms when he's actually an abandoned child dying in the gutter? That is what power slash hack and slash Rangers was to me. It was what is the darkest, grimmest, most depressing, horrifying take that we can take on a floating head gives kids superpowers. And it it just breaks it all down to the brutality to uh, they, they called out the child soldiers thing, which yes and no, because it's, it's, it's kind of like if you did an Iron Man movie, and you really went in depth into Tony Stark's uh, past as a weapons maker, and had people parading through showing the injuries and the terrible things that have happened because Tony Stark made a weapon once. I don't know. It, I just hated that film. I know,
0: but do you think that it's going to associate. have associate? But do you think it's going to have an impact on, on this film, which is exactly what Saban I, or Saban? Uh, I sincerely uh, not hope not. Ashley, do you
1: I have, sincerely have any thoughts? Hope.
2: Um, I, I think if it is not the wish of the creators, it will not happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think, I also really think that the people who were really into that fan film, um, uh, were not new fans. Were are not people jumping on for the first time. They were the people who are already familiar with and in love with the property. And I think they're going to go and see the big budget studio movie anyway, sure. regardless of how much it reflects the fan film. Now, I think it would not be the worst thing because that fan film was very successful. I don't know if it would be the worst thing for a creative to go and look at that. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, we've talked about this with a bunch of different franchises before the person who owns, owns the copyright can do whatever they Mm -hmm, want mm -hmm. and they're right.
0: Right. Are are either of you going to go see this movie or interested in seeing the power Rangers movie?
2: I'm, I'm interested in seeing it.
1: I might. Um, this is something that might actually drag me out into a theater. Certainly not on opening weekend and certainly not on like a busy Friday, but it's something that I'd be interested in, you know, taking a Sunday afternoon and checking out Mm -hmm. because here's the thing. I am not ever, ever, ever going to let myself be the guy who says they changed it. So now it sucks.
0: Well, that's why I was wondering because it is. I mean, we see so many different iterations of the Power Rangers. This is just another version of that.
1: And, you know, for, since 1997, we've had a whole new cast every year and new suits and new takes and new things. And I think that you can do a lot with the the core concept of the Power Rangers. I feel like it's something that can be very elastic. And much as with the 2009 Star Trek mm-hmm. that part of me wanted to be really resentful of, there were parts of that that were really, really enjoyable and the things that didn't work didn't fall completely out and didn't have the wheels come off until the sequel. um, To some degree, Uh, but I'm willing to give this a chance and I really would like to check it out if for no other reason than the actress playing Rita Repulsa is a huge favorite of
0: mine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: I love Elizabeth Banks in everything. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, The boys have not shown any interest in seeing this movie. Um, Tell them they have to. Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, if they want to, because we do try to do this um, uh, family movie night thing where we pick a movie and we either go see it or we sit at home and watch it. Uh, but the last movie that they kind of wanted to see was Storks and Middle School, <laughs> The Worst Years of My Life. Those are so kind of what they wanted to see. No. Well, we got busy over the weekend, so we didn't get to see either one of those. So. I don't know if they'll be interested in seeing Power Rangers, but um, if they do want to see it, I'd certainly take them to it, uh, but it may not. Did they as watch you said,
1: uh, Dino Thunder?
0: What, you know, what was the one that was in the jungle?
1: Oh, Wasn't God. there like a caveman one?
0: jungle one or something? I don't know. The years current ago one
1: has a caveman.
0: Years um, ago, it was like four or five years ago, hmm. the, the boy, who's now t- nine.
1: Jungle Fury would have been about 2007. That's probably what it was.
0: Um, but he was watching it all the time on his, uh, on his iPad, on Netflix or whatever. So he's familiar with the Power Rangers. Uh, the youngest right. is not. The sidekick is not. So I don't know if they would have any interest in this because it doesn't look like, and that's the one thing I was really surprised in this trailer, the Zords don't make an appearance. Or if they do, it's yep. like super, super quick and far away.
1: I imagine that the Zords are all CGI and not complete yet.
0: Well, I, for a movie that comes out in March, they better hurry up.
1: I kind of feel like the reason we didn't see the suits is because they're all CGI and they're not complete
0: eh, yet. Maybe so. Maybe so. <laughs> Listeners, I want to know what you think about the Power Rangers trailer. If you're going to go check out the movie or not, head over to Majorspoilers.com and share your thoughts in the comment section. Link is right there in the show notes, but not the link, but just, you know, a link. Um, not link. From, yeah, not that from link. The of yeah, that right. Exactly. Let us do some reviews. Reviews. I'm going to kick things off this week with a book that came out last week from Oni Press called Angel City. It was one of my staff picks last week. I was very excited about this because it's a noir tale of 1930s Hollywood. And it it tells the tale of two young, you know, stars in their eyes, girls who come to uh, California, to Hollywood, and quickly their paths diverge when they run out of money. One of them uh, starts uh, doing whatever it takes to be noticed by producers and directors to try to get her foot in the door. And the other one kind of falls in with the mob and becomes their, in, one of their enforcers. <laughs> one of, and it's really weird to find out how she becomes an enforcer. And uh, the movie starts in, or not the movie, the issue starts um, when the girl who um, wants to do whatever it takes to become a star is found dead in a dumpster. And oh. now her friend, Dolores Dare, needs to go back and find out who killed her friend and she's going to take some
1: revenge on them. That is a great detective name.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Originally, her name was Dot, I think, Dorothy Dot or something. And um, she changed it to Dolores Dare. And so it's it's interesting. I really like how they do the flashbacks in this because instead of, you know, flashing back and making it all sepia tone or just, you know, 10 years ago or five years ago or six months ago – uh, Dolores is flipping through a photo album and it's all these pictures of these things that have taken place. Obviously, you would never have the pictures of, you know, these these events happening. But I kind of like how the artists went in. Um, uh, Megan Levine, I think, is her, her, her. I'm sorry, Levins. Levin's, Yeah. How she went in and just kind of laid that out as like a photograph, a photo album. I really got a kick out of that. So uh, I like the art in this. I think the story is kind of cool. Um, I'm I'm curious to see how far. Uh Dolores will get as the uh revenge-driven um vigilante when so many people are against her. Uh the cops that are on the take are giving her crap. Even her boss is kind of giving her crap about this. Uh so it'll be interesting to see her track track the killer down. So Angel City number one, I enjoyed it quite a bit more than I thought I would. Uh, I like the art, I like the story direction that it's going in this first issue. It's from Oni Press, and I'm giving it four out of five slices of meatloaf. Go check it out if you're into that kind of thing. Oh, and the other thing that's really cool about it is uh, like with uh, Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips were doing in um, in the fade out. They'd have these write ups of, you know, true crime histories of Hollywood. They're going to do that in the back of Angel City, too. So they start out talking about the Black Dahlia and how that has impacted storytelling uh, since then. So that's definitely worth checking out. Matthew, what do you have for us this week?
1: This week, I have a, a book that came out last week telling a story that happened 11 months ago after the worlds ended and were rebuilt, filling in the gaps of part of the missing eight months at Marvel Comics, Death of X, number one and of four, <laughs> written by Jeff Lemire and Soule with art by Aaron Cooter. Um, this is basically the book that uh, explains what happened to the X-Men because uh, After the Secret Wars rebuilt the universe and everybody went off and did their own new thing, Cyclops is missing, presumed dead. Emma Frost has not been seen, and the few X-Men that we do know are still around are with other people. The Beast is working with uh, the Inhumans. I believe that uh, Rogue is with the Uncanny Avengers. There are very few mutants still around, and the mutants that are around are actually having issues with Terrigan Mist killing them.
2: So this is how that is, how that is and how
1: it came to be. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. Kerogen mist. And mm-hmm. this is I don't know. There's always a problem when you go back and you fill in the gaps of a of a missing time frame because there's always that question of how should I put this delicately? There's always that question of why should I care? And To some degree, I feel like part of that is driven by the expectation that there are extra universal reasons for the X-Men's exile. And knowing that perhaps there are people in editorials saying, look, we can't use the X-Men. Let's put together a story that makes that work. It does affect your enjoyment of the story sometimes and so i tried to be open-minded about this we have the moment where the x-men are flying to japan an x-men contingent consisting of cyclops who's been missing emma frost who's been missing iceman not missing the stepford cuckoos who i haven't seen magic and the greatest x-men of all time well the second greatest x-men of all time gold balls And they've all been sent to Japan because a new Terrigen mist cloud has gone off and it's going to create new Inhumans. At the same time, Crystal, who is leading the Inhumans, has shown up to try and help people transition into their new life as Inhumans. And essentially, you know, I think if you've been reading uh, Marvel books recently, most of us realize that the Inhumans are taking the narrative place in the structure of the Marvel Universe that the mutants have always held. And so this issue is basically a moment of transition. We do have a, I don't know if I'd say a major character loss, but a big recognizable mutant character lost in this issue dies in a way that is definitely for dead, 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 and dead, which means, of course, that he'll be back in five years. But um, the whole point of the story has these two parallel almost mystery story cyclops and his team investigating what's going on and how the Terrigen mist is happening and crystal and her group trying to figure out what's going to happen in japan with these new human humans. and so as the story progresses we get a lot of parallel moments and we find out for the first time chronologically that the x-men are uh, susceptible to the Terrigen mist but the the big reveal of this is kind of lost because for the last 4 months we've been seeing this explicitly and that's the biggest problem with this issue it's filling in gaps of things that are pretty much already evident and it doesn't give us much new information other than setting up cyclops may have inhaled a big mess of terrogen gas and maybe cyclops is kind of dead i will say that artistically um it reminds me of frank quitely which is good in a lot of ways in the lineup. It it It's good in the storytelling. It's very bad in that any and all facial close-ups got the crazy eyes and are very disturbing. And the last page of the book is a, a split-page facial close-up of Cyclops and uh, Crystal that will chill your blood and bring just like take 10 years off your life. It's really, really kind of horrifying. And that's kind of a pet peeve of mine when someone has – facial expressions where the characters don't feel like they're uh, acting Mm -hmm. (laughs) in a way that I find appropriate. You know what I mean? And that really kind of brings the whole thing down. All in all, being the first part of a four issue story, it doesn't pique my interest to come back. It doesn't feel like a really successful first issue hook and grab. It feels like all the reveals here are things that I've already seen and or heard of maybe that's a function of me being a really aware of what's going on in comics and going oh in 2 months this comic's going to come out and they claim that this is going to happen but i think it's also a function of this book basically kind of going back and doing the retcon dance so it at the end it may be amazing this issue is just it didn't grab me it didn't get me artistically and the story kind of meanders more than i like so two out of five slices of meatloaf for death of X. Number one structurally flawed, but at least, you know, you know, you didn't see the Hulk get shot in the eye. That's, yet. that's a positive yet. Yet. No, that happened in a different book.
0: Oh, but I'm sure they'll do a flash forward where, you know, some of them is going to have gets some
1: shot. In the eye.
0: Yeah. Someone has a, has a vision, but not the vision.
1: I will say this, uh, Cyclops is uh, new mask. Yeah, the thing with that the covers X his whole face. over yeah, the yeah. eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is disturbing as hell.
2: But didn't they use that oh, before? I like yeah, that a lot. Wasn't that a costume yeah, that, that they that used that, way back that... in
0: the 90s or something? No. Oh,
2: I know, I know that was the thing that started with the all new Marvel. He had the X.
0: Yeah, You but know, when, when Marvel
2: X. Now was like. Oh, okay. In 2013.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, is, but. Is that when he killed Professor Xavier the first time?
2: It was right after that, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah that would have been uh, AVX. Mm hmm.
2: Right, yeah, right. Post that.
1: Interesting. So many cool things like going on, on from Marvel. Shirt,
0: <laughs> um, thank you for that, Matthew and Ashley. Let us uh, let's dive into Ooh. the DC pool this week. I want to know what's going on with Scooby Apocalypse.
2: Well, I thought I could only go one major spoiler show without reviewing a DC comic, as everyone accuses me of on Twitter. <laughs> so, if you uh, if you've been listening to this podcast or if you inexplicably follow me on any social media. You know that I really, (laughs) really, really like Scooby Apocalypse. And this issue number six is the best of all of them so far. And what's the best about it is it is called the secret origin of Velma Dinkley. And as we all know, Velma Dinkley is the single greatest character that Scooby-Doo has ever created. Now. All of that bias aside, this is actually a super great issue because when you learn about Velma's life, basically from birth until where we find her on the first page of this issue, you know, you have an explanation now six issues in of everything that caused them to get this far. Interesting. And it's up to you as the audience to make up your mind about whether or not... Um, you're in sort of Camp Daphne and you really think Thelma's all to blame, or if you can see how it, in a little more abstract way, it wasn't really in her control. Uh you learn a lot about her family, you learn about her adolescence, you learn about her coming to work with the four, the very people who caused uh the nanite invasion. That turned everybody into horrible monsters in the first place. And you see what she's been grappling with this whole time. And I think it helps to make her a more empathetic character. Because sometimes she does seem to be overreacting. And if she's not your favorite character from childhood. I can see how that might not be like the coolest thing that you've ever seen. But I'm pretty okay with it. Um, Sadly... The fantabulous Mr. Howard Porter only does the present-day storyline. The flashback storylines are drawn by Wellington Alves. I'm sorry (laughs) for saying that wrong, I'm sure. And Dale Eaglesham. Uh, They're equally beautiful and equally interesting to look at. But there is a uh, softer quality, I guess. Uh, Whereas Howard Porter's... One of the greatest things about his his line work, whether it's pre or post accident is that there's so much kinetic energy and it's like jumping off the page. So there is a more dreamlike quality to some of the stuff that you're seeing in the past. And I would say also because it is entirely narrated within the confines of Velma's head. The fact that sometimes Dematius and Giffen can get just a little bit wordy uh, really, really works in the structure of the narrative that is going on here. Um, (laughs) I love this issue more than anything. I'm sad Howard Porter draws digitally and I can't buy these pages. Yeah. Uh, if you were like me and you are uh, a fan of Velma, this is definitely uh, probably going to make your whole year of comics reading. So I'm going to give it a perfect five out of five slices mm-hmm. of meatloaf. Got a very five. cool. We got a five. <laughs> Very, very, very it's, cool. It's perfect. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> Excellent.
0: Well, thank you for that, Ashley. <laughs> Listeners, you can head over to Majorspoilers.com. You can check out all sorts of reviews over there, as well as uh, news stories and other tidbits, sneak peeks, which I'm really uh, glad that people enjoy those because I see those get tweeted out on Mondays and Tuesdays before Comic New Comic Book Day. And it uh, looks like people uh, enjoy checking out what's coming up in the week ahead. If you want to know what we think of books that are coming out of the week ahead. Be on the lookout for the uh, Major Spoilers staff picks that comes out Wednesday morning. It's a rundown of books that we're looking forward to the most and why we're recommending them. So if you're looking for a quick pull list item, head over to Majorspoilers.com. That's where you will find it. Over there, you will also find the Major Spoilers Poll of the Week. Week, 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 week. I think we've had this one before, but I think it's been long enough. Uh, that it's the Bears uh, visiting once more. Major spoilers, spoilerite Garrett asks, which is the better animated series, Futurama or The Simpsons? Ashley, what oh. do you think?
2: I think this is a really tough question. It is. Uh, for for me, the first ten seasons of The Simpsons are maybe as perfect as that genre of like adult cartoon could be. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're intelligent, they're emotional. Uh, Sideshow Bob is like the greatest thing ever, and and then there's a definite tonal shift uh, that really comes into place like after season 12. And in my opinion, and this is not a judgment, but it's kind of all been downhill since then, and it's fallen into this Family Guy format, which which personally is not my cup of tea. I don't think Futurama is better than The Simpsons at its best, but because there's so Such a fewer concentration of episodes, and because they're always on the verge of being canceled, I feel like they were always going balls to the wall. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think, I mean, if you're if you're gonna parse it out and look at it statistically, there are more crappy episodes of The Simpsons than there are of Futurama. But Lisa's Substitute is one of my favorite (laughs) animated episodes of all time. With Dustin, Uh, so good that, and then uh, the way we was. Those Mm -hmm. are my two. So I really, I, I got. (laughs)
0: I I really enjoy those those first like you said 10 years of the Simpsons I think were awesome Mm -hmm.
2: they're they're just like they're genius and nothing has touched them uh, if if, in my opinion if other people think differently that's awesome Uh, so yeah I'm gonna give it to the Simpsons
0: all right I went with Futurama just because of I felt like Simpsons tackles tries to tackle the everyday trials and tribulations of um, of the normal family And kind of puts it on its ear in crazy situations. And in the first couple of years, they would mix the really wacky with some really serious. But now it just seems some of the stories are maybe not, I don't know, family focused as more as it is is. Let's zany focus it. Whereas for me, Futurama has always been people like to predict the future. And we've seen shows like Star Trek and uh, others that like to imagine how great the future is going to be. And this one basically says, yeah, the future is not going to be any better than it, the way it is now. Let's just have fun with it. And so I just went with, with Futurama. I, I, thought, I, thought it's the, I thought it's better uh, in the way that they structure their stories and, and what they did going forward. So that's, uh, that one gets my vote. Matthew, what about you?
1: See, it's difficult for me because while Ashley, what Ashley says is true, you can extrapolate Ooh. and say that there are more bad episodes of the simpsons than there are episodes of futurama right that is true that is true
2: exactly <laughs>
1: but there are more great episodes of the simpsons than there are bad episodes of the simpsons and episodes of futurama put together so it's it's a tough call i mean they're not really all that applicable they they're not like we're we're comparing angry apples and sexy oranges again um, and and well, that's fun and that's fine, you have to take into account two things. First and foremost, there are a lot of people on the internet who take it upon themselves to remind you that The Simpsons used to be funnier, regardless of the context. You can be talking about Batman and people will come in and go, you know, The Simpsons used to be funnier. But the joke of Simpsons did it is a joke for a reason. The Simpsons broke a lot of ground, but honestly... What it really comes down to for me, and I said to myself, what moment or episode of each touched me the most? What episode really hit home for me? And for Homer, it was that moment where, um, God, I can't even remember who it was now, where Maggie was, was a little tiny baby and there oh, was this whole bit her. and he was totally, yeah. Yeah. That, oh, that hurt me. But
0: yeah, I the, the story opens with, how come there is no pictures of Maggie in, in the photo album? And so that right. I learn about Maggie and Homer having to make this decision and how he went to his sucky job, uh, to do is it the for The only Maggie. time Maggie speaks. Yep. And we get yep. to see, uh, we get to see all the pictures of Maggie that he has up at his, uh, at his, uh, workspace. Yeah. That's a good one.
1: And Mag- Maggie is voiced by, I think Elizabeth, Elizabeth Taylor. Taylor. Yeah. But then you have to look at the seventh episode. Of the fourth season. Of Futurama. Mm-hmm. That episode is called Jurassic Bark. Who the dog. Where Fry finds his dog. Yeah. Fossilized. And Fry. Is desperate to bring his dog back to life. Using Professor Farnsworth's Jurassic Park technology. And then he realizes that. Seymour lived. After him. And dogs. You know they have little tiny brains. So he clearly forgot about him. So he sacrifices. The, the having his dog back so that Seymour won't come back and be all freaked out, and then the closing scene reaches into your chest. it doesn't rip out your heart, it, it does slowly blink, blink, blink all the bits around your heart, and then it pulls it out and it laughs, and it says, "Ha ha, ha look what I have ha, 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 ha and then as you as you are like falling, you remember Seymour the dog lying in front of the pizza place for 8 years until he dies waiting for fry to come home. I'm I'm literally tearing up
0: Yeah it's it's a good episode it really is and that's why and
1: I, that yeah. that moment alone that and the existence of bubblegum tate really <laughs> threw You're it The globetrotter
0: math is all crazy
1: <laughs> Bubblegum <laughs> tate uh <laughs> Sorry, I I love Bubblegum Tate. I love Phil Lamar. But what it really came down to is that moment and Bubblegum Tate pushed it way over, and I had to vote Futurama. Yeah, there you go.
0: Uh, what is everyone voting uh, right now, Matthew? How is everyone voting? Well, six, How do the votes uh, stick
1: up. 68% of our voters also remember Jurassic <laughs> Park with tears in their eyes. Uh, the remaining 32. Definitely want you to know that The Simpsons used to be better. (laughs) But very few votes in the can right now, less than 80 votes in the bag, which means you can turn this around if you really want to bring The Simpsons up. If you want to come in and remind us of, you know, Santa's little helper. If you want to remind us of uh, Abe and the flying hellfish. uh, Or that point where Maggie shot Mr. Burns.
2: Brother from another series. Frasier jokes for days.
1: Yep. Yep. Or that moment where... (laughs) where Dr. Hibbert turns to the camera and says, I can't solve the mystery. Can you? And then they cut to to Chief Wiggum, and he's like, well, yeah, I guess. It's kind of my job and everything.
0: Oh, man. That was, man, we were still in college when that episode
1: came out. Yeah, that was a good one. That's probably the last time I watched The Simpsons regularly. I'm not, yeah, I watch Family Guy more than The Simpsons now. Hmm. Um, And Bob's Burgers more than that because the Widget loves Bob's Burgers. Very she has cool. a, she has this thing where she will tell you that whatever thing she likes is her life. Tina Belcher is her life more often than <laughs> many things.
0: <laughs> Listeners head over. Don't, don't just take your time. Rush over right now. Like Rush stop what right you're out doing. Stop what you're doing. Head over to MajorSpoilers.com. Cast your vote in the major spoilers poll of the week. And then use the comment section to tell us why you like one over the other. And uh, maybe give some specific examples. I mean, if you're talking about chimpanzee to chimpanzee, yeah, Simpsons has got it. But uh, maybe you like.
2: Oh, that musical, though. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that yeah, good. yeah, Then you have to go back to that episode where Kiff goes and tries to earn Amy's hand in marriage by breaking the bugaloos. Yes. And it turns out that the, the ancient Martians actually raised them. Oh, it's beautiful. Yep. Uh, listeners, Plus Zap listen... Brannigan. Zap, Zap Brannigan. Brannigan. Have
0: you heard? Uh, have you heard him do Trump qu- quotes in Zapp Brannigan's Yes, that, I, <laughs> love I heard Billy it.
2: West. I heard it live.
0: Oh, really? The New York Comic Con or Long Beach Comic Con? Well,
2: you no, think you're better than um, me? Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. Uh, in in Los Angeles, when you uh, get, pay all your money to live here, you can do cool things like pay more money to go to uh, Outtake-A-Rama, mm. which has Billy West, Maurice LaMarche, and Oh, the guy what does Bender's voice and who I think should be the Joker. John Rodriguez. Yep. Nope. <laughs> John DiMaggio. <Yeah. laughs> um, you can go and you can see them do all of their favorite um like lost tapes live. Oh, cool. Uh and and at the end Billy West did he read the Trump quotes from the first debate, uh, as again. It was really cool.
1: Very, very I cool. I love Maurice Lamarsh. Maurice Lamarche is one of those
2: Canadian
1: totally- guys, yeah. If I had a show and I wanted the voice cast, I would definitely have Maurice LaMarche, and I would have Cleveland Junior. What's his name? I can't remember his name now. From family oh, I guy. feel like a pet. Yeah, the the actor who does the voice like this is actually this uh, Kevin Michael Richardson. Oh,
2: Kilowog. He's yeah. Awesome. He has the huge deep
1: voice, and in in in, in regular life, he's like, yes, hello, my <laughs> name is Kevin. And then he goes in and he, you know, I love him. And then, of course, you'd have to hire Tara Strong just because you get those three. You really don't need the other people.
0: Well, you need uh, what's his name from Transformers?
1: Your, your guy, Frank Welker, Frank Welker. Oh, man, he cannot afford Frank Welker. Well, Buddy, I doubt we can, I doubt we can afford Tara,
0: <laughs> Tara Strong either. <laughs> just oh, so I think you know.
1: we, can probably, we can get Maurice and Tara. But I don't Frank think we Welker can even get
0: Maurice either. Frank. We might be able to get uh, can, what's his name, the guy that does the voice of. uh of Yoda on the um Clone Wars series. What's his name? like uh, Tom Kane, I think is his name.
1: Tom Tom Kenny? The no, voice no, no, of not Sponge Tom Kenny. Bob?
0: No, 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 no. We couldn't <laughs> afford him either. Uh but we could we if we had him. more people use our sponsor, tweakedaudio.com Head over to tweakedaudio.com. You can get all sorts of uh, earbuds, earphones, whatever that you need for this coming holiday season. You're going to be taking a lot of trips. Maybe you're flying east coast to west coast or back and forth uh, for a comic book convention. Or maybe you're just going home for the holidays and you want to listen to something on those long flights. They've got noise-canceling design so you don't have to hear the person talking next to you. And best of all, you can save some big money. When you go to tweakedaudio.com, use the checkout code MAJOR. Save 33% off the price. Thank you, Tweaked Audio. We're sponsoring this episode of the Major Spoilers podcast. Who watched the uh, so, season premiere of
1: uh, Supergirl? Me. I haven't watched it
0: yet. Oh, man, it is so good, Matthew. I enjoyed I it the it heck out of it. I didn't know what I was going to think about uh, Tyler. What's his name? Hecklin? Hecklin? Hecklin.
2: Hecklin. Hecklin.
0: Heck- I didn't know what I was going to think Tyler of him T. Wolf, Hecklin in uh, Superman because some of the still shots I don't think did him justice. But yeah. holy crap, what a great Superman.
1: Yeah, the still the still shots I think had that thing where you get a still shot of somebody's head and you're like, "Man, his head's too narrow to be right, Superman." Right. But you realize it's just it's just one angle. And then when he actually, you know, can move and act and speak, it's an entirely different matter.
0: Yeah, I really enjoyed the heck out of that uh, out of that episode. So, I don't know. Ashley, did you enjoy the first episode of Supergirl for this uh, now it's uh, on the CW?
2: I did enjoy it. I am not as over the moon about uh Tyler Jean Wolf Hecklin as I am as everyone else is. I feel like I think he's a really good Clark Kent <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um for me, I don't think he's a great Superman. I think he's fine. I think it's really trite how the storytelling goes out of its way to be like, see, guys, he's saving people. This isn't that grumpy Superman <laughs> right. who makes you angry. See him saving the pedestrians. Wasn't that nice? Uh, um, yeah. I love I the quote. Also, we're, going I also, back
0: to, we're going back to Gotham.
2: Yeah, I like that. Um, I, I also don't, think, don't so. think I don't think he has the um, sort of presence that I expect from Superman. Mm. They have a really interesting storytelling device where like everyone including male characters like everyone has a crush on superman right. which it it should be you should just be like magnanimously drawn to this person i mm-hmm. think henry cavill really has that mm-hmm. i think ben affleck really has that even as batman for me uh tyler hecklin does not have that mm. uh, but i i really like his interaction with kara and i i like i, said, I just like him as clark kent and i like right, them right. like palling around together so I'm really enjoying it for that aspect, but I mean, I'm never—I don't have as many problems with the cinematic Superman as other people do. Like I'm—you're never going to convince me he's better than Henry Cavill. Sorry. Right, right, right.
0: No, I just really enjoyed it. I just love that he would smile and joke with, you know, people that he saved or that he's standing next to. You know, when yeah, he was uh, when great the,
2: with Cat too. That was awesome. Yeah,
0: it's just—it was really nice. It felt very refreshing. I, I bring this up because uh, we've got Monel. Uh, who shows up in the uh, crashed um, rocket as we knew For he was a, going to. For
2: like a, whole, a whole five seconds.
0: Yeah, he'll, he'll play a bigger <laughs> role later. But um, the other thing that's really surprising is that Supergirl does not take place in the Arrowverse right now. And we know this yeah, because just- <laughs> when it comes to the big crossover event later this season, it says that Supergirl travels to another dimension to work with Flash and Arrow and these other guys. So I was kind of so surprised by that.
2: We'll see what happens after that four-part crossover. Yeah.
0: So the right. four-part crossover is the most interesting thing because it features the Dominators and Invasion. We are getting an Invasion storyline in DC's Legends of Tomorrow, Flash, Arrow, and Supergirl. And so I thought this week we would take a look at uh, Invasion. What was it? The 1988, 87, 88? Uh, event. That was the, what was it? The first event after uh, crisis on infinite earths.
2: Yes.
1: Second.
0: What was the first one after crisis? Legends. Oh, legends. Okay.
2: Oh, I forgot about that.
0: (laughs) That's why I'm here. I don't forgot about that. And it features some of the scariest aliens. Well, it features some of the scariest aliens from across the universe joining together to go and put a stop to earth and their, their superheroes because they may be a threat in the future.
1: In the 80s, the DC universe of the present didn't have a real deep bench of cosmic threats. And a lot of what this was was kind of a let's build up a roster of cosmic threats. So at this point, the Dominators, who are kind of the head of the Alliance, had only appeared in the 30th century in the Legion. The Kuns were part of the Legion. The Thanagarians are, of course, Hawkman's people. The Durlins are from the future of the Legion. The warlords of Okara are the ones who enslaved Starfire's people.
2: The um, Tamarinians.
1: The Tamaranians. The Citadelians are the evil guys from the Vegas system who were created by the Scions who are another evil group from uh, both of those from the Omega Men. And then of course the Daxamites, uh, Monel's race, also from the 30th century for all intents and purposes. So basically this Oh, and don't forget, the stupidest alien <laughs> name ever in the history of the world, the Gildishpan.
0: Yeah, the, uh, the sea enemies. The, the, sea the floating
1: aquatic, there's yes. sea monkeys, yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Uh, the, the, uh, the Gildishpan are also from the 30th century. One of their number is a man named, a man? Uh, a floating coral reef named Zemir, who's uh, kind of terrible and evil and awful. But yes, all of these alien races come together. And basically kind of bulk up the cosmic edge of DC circa 1988.
0: And you can so. certainly feel that because, you know, you have big players like, uh, Adam strange, you have, yes. what would eventually be, was it Legion? Is that where snapper car went yes. to after Legion was, uh, snapper car
1: ended up with, uh, with the blasters. Oh, that's right. Vril docs, thrilled docs, who is actually technically brainiac two. Mm hmm. And um, Garen Beck, who was in these
2: days. He was just in um, the Adventures of Supergirl comic.
1: Yep. Vril and Garen Beck would would form Legion, the licensed extra-governmental interstellar operative network, Mm -hmm. a precursor of the 30th century Legion of Superheroes. Um, With some of the survivors of the star log that we see in these first couple of issues.
0: Yeah. So for me, I remember uh, when this first came out because I was just getting into comics at the time. I hadn't Mm -hmm. experienced a big major crossover event. I was reading some Batman, some Superman occasionally, some different weird titles that always caught my eye. But here is one that's like an 80 page giant that tells the story of invasion. And it has these creepy ass aliens on the front with these (laughs) big teeth. And these big and red dots they, on their forehead. Oh,
1: you know that they speak like this. We are the dominators. I don't know
0: what they speak like, but I can't wait to see what they yeah. look like in, in the uh, Supergirl show. Um, but this kind of freaked Hopefully me out not
1: like this because I want to sleep someday.
0: No, they, uh, um, Berlanti, I think it was Berlanti, uh, had said mm-hmm. that they are doing everything they can to make the dominators look like they do in the comics with prosthetics and CGI effects.
1: Yeah, ouch.
0: Yeah, this is going to be really creepy, because why, Ashley, are the Dominators wanting to invade Earth? Are they just scared of Earthlings?
2: Mm, nah, they don't like this whole, like, superhero deal that we have going on. And there's, like, Sides like, well, that's, yeah, that's not so good. So here's a gene bomb, and they take this gene bomb, and then they drop it on all the superheroes, and it, like, makes them a lot less super.
1: <laughs>
0: and this is, if I'm not mistaken, is this not the first time we learn about the metagene, Matthew?
1: This is the origin of both the term and concept of the metagene, because coming out of the crisis on infinite Earth, DC was trying to build a cohesive universe that mm-hmm. explained why every third person had superpowers. So, right. yes, this is the origin of DC's metagene. Which, you know, is a big thing on TV again. Barry mm-hmm. Allen likes to talk about the metagene and yep. people having their Metagenes activated. Yep. And I think it's this, gonna is, be very this is where that came from. And yeah. once again, you'll note Giffen. Mm-hmm. Giffen is involved in this. And whenever there's a big DC crossover worth its salt, at mm-hmm. least post-1986, you'll always see Giffen just kind of hanging around in the shadows. It's weird.
0: Well, why do you think that is? Do you think it's because he's the he's he's tying it all together and saying, well, you know, these people would, you know, the Daxamites would be involved for this reason or, you know, mm-hmm. the, the Derlins would be doing this for this reason. And uh, oh, by the way, the Daxamites, when they get to Earth, they're going to have Superman's powers. But remember, they're still affected by lead poisoning. And that's great right. Is he
2: in- is he the Matthew of the DC universe?
1: <laughs> to <laughs> some degree. Githin? Yeah, Probably. I think Giff is the guy <laughs> who Wade. remembers but is the guy who remembers things that, you know, Wade has his his bits and pieces. Wade is like, he knows his Legion. Wade knows his uh, su- Legion of Superheroes. He knows his Superman. He knows his things inside and out. And a lot of them he's, you know, created post-crisis. But Giffen is the guy who remembers that one weird half-remembered issue of Adventure Comics where the character showed up. And I feel like... He's just dispassionate enough to be able to stitch these things together without worrying about, uh, wait, what about that? Uh, uh, no, this will work. It's fine. It makes perfect sense. I think. And the opening th- sequence of issue one is pure Giffen.
0: Oh, yeah. We've rounded up 50 humans. Our calculations and say one of these should be uh, affected by the metagene. And yeah, uh, no, there's totally. like six of them that survive And they're like, oh, my gosh.
1: Yeah. This is a bigger threat they than we basically- thought. They basically... They line people up and start executing them with energy weapons to see if the stress triggers superpowers. That is such a Keith Giffen moment. Oh, my God. That is such a Keith Giffen moment. Yeah.
0: And um, they seem legitimately concerned about this. So they bring up their invasion force. They go to Earth and they're like, Earthlings, we'll let you live, but you got to give us all your superhumans. And, mm-hmm. of, and of course, you know, that's kind of a, a nice before you get to the final page of that first um, uh, issue. It's kind of like, yep. well, what would Earthlings do? Would they just go ahead and give up their superpower people so that they could save themselves or, or mm-hmm. not? And it's kind of a neat kind of mind game to play with yourself. Would you give up a superhero in exchange for the greater good for the greater life? And of course, mm-hmm. uh, um, Perry White and Jimmy have the, the front page headlines that say, uh, screw you, aliens.
1: Yep. Earth to invaders, drop dead. And that is such a Perry White moment, too.
0: Now, the interesting thing about this is that uh, obviously this spun out into every DC comic that was going on at the time. Mm-hmm. And I didn't read all of those other tie in issues. I didn't know you had to read the tie in issues because I had you Invasion did. one and I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. I can't wait to see what happens in Invasion two. And I may have read a Batman Psych. comic. <laughs> well, I'm, well, but but here's the thing: I may have read a Batman comic. Um, but here's the thing: when you jump into issue two, it tells you what has gone on in every single DC book over the course of three pages. It's like in this panel, here's Aquaman fighting the 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 mm-hmm. Gilman's, and here's Batman. Yeah, Marvel and...
2: Marvel could really take notes on that right now. That'd be great.
0: <laughs> I really got a right kick now. out of that.
2: Yeah, and you know, I uh,
1: I'm not proud or tired so i can tell you that in 1988 i think i read all the crossovers oh really because i yeah i read all the books in question i read checkmate firestorm flash swamp thing manhunter all of these things yeah checkmate is good manhunter is okay i mean probably the weak link of it all was starman Mm -hmm. and even that had its moments to it but Uh, The Animal Man crossover is super memorable because it has the moment, the wonderful moment. You may remember this from when we reviewed Animal Man, like nine years (laughs) ago,
2: Stephen,
1: where Hawkman is like, just switch it off. And that becomes the arc word later when Animal Man is dealing with some terrible villainous plot and he's just like, oh, right, just switch it off.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, all of the crossovers were done kind of in... That individual fashion that nobody gets to do anymore, because really what it was was each writer was told, okay, aliens are destroying the earth. What are you going to do about it? And so Flash went to Cuba for some reason yeah. to blow and himself Wally up. And Wally West, Dad. Wally West, Dad. By the way, is a man hunter. I yeah. don't know if you knew that. Yeah, but ugh.
0: he blows himself <laughs> up really good. Yeah, uh, Wally blows himself up really good. Well, actually, yeah. Lex Luthor blows a life model decoy of the flash up.
2: Oh no 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 that's what they're called in Marvel. We call them oh, not that. What do they call them <laughs> in here? Do
0: they call them like um they didn't call them androids. What do they call them in this book? What did Luther call them?
1: Was that an issue two?
0: Yeah it was oh, an issue God. two. Because yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so what happens is the second issue is all about uh, the fighting that's going on and how the forces are going to join with one another to the point where suddenly mm-hmm. the Daxamites realize that they have this power and that Superman didn't beat them up when they had a chance. So they're like, well, you know what? Maybe you Earthlings aren't so bad after all, even though you, Superman, are from another planet. Let's mm-hmm. all join forces together. Let's fight these Daxamites and the and the Kuns and the uh, other people and uh, save Desire. the day. And, uh, of course, it looks like. The alliance is is crumbling apart. The day has been lost, except there's one Dominator cast member who's figured out the the metagene, as Ashley had said, and unleashes <laughs> the metabomb, the metagene bomb, where Ooh. everything is black and white, inverted black and white, for three pages.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, that's how you know that bad
0: things are <laughs> happening.
2: It's it's very Wizard of Oz, but I think that that makes it no less effective, even though you're like, oh, I've seen this before.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, then we get pages and pages and pages of metahumans that are sick, that are dying, that their cells are breaking down. Uh, but then in the, in that third issue, we get to see a lot of the non-meta humans and we get yes. to see a lot of the alien uh, human or the uh, alien superheroes work together mm-hmm. to figure out how to fix this crisis. So you're not relying oh, just on, <laughs> yeah, you're not relying yeah. on just, you know, uh, a plastic man or you're not relying on, I forget who else would, you know, you can go to a whole page. Max, Maxwell Lord is is uh, suffering from yeah, this.
1: Massive. Everybody is, if you look at that page closely, you can see ambush bug. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Everybody is in there. The flash is in there. Half of the doom patrol is in there. And to their credit, they actually kill some people off during this crossover. Now, most of them are members of the doom patrol and or the suicide squad. And as you can tell from those titles, not so much with the uh, life expectancy anyway. But they went to the trouble of making sure you'd have casualties, mm-hmm. which I thought was that's more than you usually get out of these big old crossover messes. Usually everybody survives miraculously unharmed. Yeah, definitely. So I kind of yeah. like that. But there's a, there's a page where you just see rows and mm-hmm. rows of costumed heroes, unconscious comatose in beds in this huge warehouse that Dr. Eiling and Amanda Waller have put together and it's a it's a really striking picture. Even, you know, 25 years down the line, I remember looking at that and going, oh, my God, is that ambush bug? Is he OK?
0: Was this the first time that we knew that Maxwell Lord had uh, Medellin powers or had we already known that he was mind controlling people or had that ability to
1: Max? Push? I believe Max's powers actually come from the Medellin explosion. OK, Max had been manipulated by uh, the construct when he formed the new Justice League in mm-hmm.
0: 1987.
1: Mm-hmm. But this is where he got his superpower to mentally nudge people.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ashley,
1: what would you and think? And we of, see him collapse too.
0: Yeah. Ashley, what do you think of being able to see all of these superheroes uh, throughout the book? I mean, granted, you may only have one page of Blue Beetle going, oh yeah, right. Um, but you've got to see like every DC hero of 1987 in this, in this series.
2: I thought it was really cool because it's always fun when you get those big pages to be like, oh, I love this person. Oh, I love this person. Oh, I didn't know this person could do that. It's also interesting from just a comic book reader or writer standpoint of seeing what a really early crossover looked like. It's very important over the course of this invasion storyline to see everyone and to make characters like you mentioned that are you know, maybe not as well known or maybe a little stranger um, useful. And Mm -hmm. it's just fun as a, you know, as a nerd, it's like you, you get the posters that were made in the nineties that -hmm. were distributed in wizard. And you try to find everyone that you love and you get frustrated when you can't find Robin in the corner. Like it's this whole thing. So I really enjoyed it. I think the story was pretty good and I think there's a good chance we'll see it on TV. Oh
0: yeah. I I can't wait to see that. I, there's two panels that I love. In this entire in this entire series, uh, the first one is the first time you see Batman in this series when it's a, it's an issue, too, when they're all up at the uh, satellite or wherever the, the headquarters and they're having their meeting and you see Batman in this one panel going, well, that's a good idea. But have you thought about this? And he's got his his cowl wrapped around his face and he's just like trying to get, I guess, trying to keep people from figuring out who he is or something. But he's just like got it wrapped around his face really tight, his arms sticking out. He's like, oh no, man, this is a good idea. Blah, blah, blah. And it's just like that is that's a classic one. And then um it's a couple of panels. It's a sequence where Superman is meeting the Daxamites and he's like, hey look, you guys need to get out of here. And just as he's telling them to go away, one of them punches him. And then, you know, he goes flying across <laughs> the country and then he lands and he's like, Whoa, you know, what was that? I thought that was a really nice sequence too uh in that series. But you know, you're you're right, Actually, you do get to see Uh, people that you haven't seen in years. Snapper Carr, I don't know when the last time we saw him was, uh, Matthew, but it had to have been in the 60s.
2: Oh, Snapper Carr. (laughs) Snapper
1: made it into the 70s and kind of flamed out, so he had made, like, periodic appearances. I think at one point he was an evil villain called the Star Czar. But wasn't that after this, though?
0: Wasn't that after this when he went crazy with his snapping powers?
1: No, he didn't get his snapping powers until this series.
0: Oh, okay. Well, that's what I'm saying.
1: Before that, he yeah, he had a couple of things, and basically he turned on the league or accidentally was manipulated to turning on the league, and then he had a whole redemption arc that turned out to be something else. But yeah, Snapper had not been around for probably ten, fifteen years before this, and they made an honest to Pete attempt to put Snapper car at the top of the mid mm-hmm. card for the DC universe. Mm-hmm. And that was amazing to me. It didn't yeah. stick. No. But but it was pretty amazing to see nonetheless. No, I thought that was,
0: I thought that was interesting. The other thing is, as you were, you were saying earlier, Matthew, how you got to see a greater space scope of the DC universe. I had completely forgotten Omega men were in this book.
1: Yeah. The Omega men and Adam strange are both key in, mm-hmm. in different ways to the story, which is kind of amazing because people don't always recall the Omega men having been around since 1980 Yeah, when they pop up now and then, you know, and so it's nice to really see this, and this book gives you kind of the the bird's eye lowdown, whatever that means, of the DC universe, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. circa 1987. It tells you who your players are, and it shows you things like firestorm situation, and who's in the Justice League, and who's in the Doom Patrol, and the Atom has his own book, so the Atom is front and center in all of this. Yep. It's, I mean, it's interesting to see... Just where everybody stands at this point, because the nineties made some, some, some weird changes to the DC universe. And you kind of forget that this, this interim post-crisis pre zero hour madness ever existed.
0: Well, we were talking last week, I believe about Captain Adam and how he Mm -hmm. hadn't been a big deal. I mean, he's leading the forces here. In in this yep. in this book, he's leading the the space force to take it on with the with the uh, invasion force. I thought that was he really cool. He has his
1: own comic at this point. I know,
0: right? It's it's really crazy to go back and read this. Ashley, what do you think of the art in this in this uh, series?
2: I think the art is definitely uh, of its time. Yeah. Which, um, <laughs> I didn't it's necessarily victorial. think. Uh, I didn't necessarily think it was a bad thing though. Um, it's, I try really hard with older stuff not to get hung up on that. So maybe I'm being like too judicious, but it didn't bother me for the most part.
0: I think it's fine except when you see people who have to wear capes and then they've, it looks like they're wearing puffy, puffy shoulders underneath their capes because it's like the cape has a mind of its own, has Dr. Strange's meditation powers.
2: T- to bring it's it McFarl- back, they kind of look like what Tyler Heckland's cape looks like in Supergirl. Oh, it's floating about ahead. like a half inch above his shoulders.
0: Well, in this case, the, the thing- capes are floating a head above their shoulders.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the thing
1: about this book's art that's phenomenal is the fact that it's stuck together at all. Because um, Todd McFarlane mm-hmm. was hired to do all three issues. Mm-hmm. Todd did all of issue one. And then during issue two... There were some issues and Todd no longer worked at D.C. for whatever reason. So the first half of issue two is Todd McFarlane and God love him. Todd McFarlane does one heck of a Superman. Oh, yeah. There that cape, there are man. a couple of scenes of Superman with that massive cape and that sequence where Batman is like wrapping himself up.
0: Uh-huh. An excellent
1: strategy, Captain. Yeah, that's ridiculous.
0: That is funny, though. That,
1: but that is a funny path. Then Then you do this thing that – this is another thing we see with Keith Giffen. In a pinch, Giff can draw. Oh, yeah. So you get like half an issue of Giff, and then they bring in Bart Sears. And Mm -hmm. my mommy always said, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. So I will tell you that Todd McFarlane can be a hell of a draftsman. And uh, then Giffen also drew issues in this, and there was art. So really (laughs) – it's amazing that this sticks together as well as it does, because you have that, oh, and now Giffen's filling on the issue to cover for McFarlane, mm-hmm. and then Bart Sears comes in, and Sears is really trying to do a McFarlane riff in issue three. Right. The nice thing, thing is— coming, those, I mean, it's clear. But
0: the nice thing is those transitions tend to happen at chapter markers in the in the book, so mm-hmm. it's it seems fairly natural that it's maybe not a huge jump. I mean, you can tell that there's an art change. But because it's yeah. another chapter, and you're out visiting, uh, you know, the 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 stalag, um, then you mm-hmm. you kind of uh, pass <laughs> over that
1: stuff. Yeah, it kind of adds to the the of it all. It it does give it kind of a feeling of greater scope because when your scene changes, you're in the equivalent of a whole new universe because the art style is completely
0: different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This only lasted three months, correct? Am
1: I am I mistaken on that? Three issues. I think it was closer to like four and a half months. But yeah, it was. It was.
2: It was. There was no double shipping in the '80s, apparently.
1: Right. Well, well um, there was, but there wasn't. Sort of intentionally. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I oh, it say, says uh, it says issue one came out in January of '89, February of '89, and March of '89. So they yeah, not that out. Those boom, are boom, street
1: boom. Dates. Those are street dates. They would have been at the end of '88 is mm-hmm. when they came out. So, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, and it was it was something where I remember them coming out, and I remember buying issue three and going, hey, wow, this is really awesome, and then I've heard about it. And then it was over. So, yeah, and the, the ramifications of it had longer-lasting things, mm-hmm. because you'll recall Max got superpowers. Fire and Ice in the Justice League had a whole new power set. Animal Man had to relearn how to do everything that he did. The Doom Patrol got a whole new relaunch under Grant Morrison, which turned them into something entirely different.
0: Well, there was I a mean, this I forget which series it was, but it was mm-hmm. like years later after invasion, like maybe two or three years later there, uh, the heroes found a Kound, um, uh camp in, I think, uh, Australia still still hanging out. They didn't know the <laughs> war was over or something and they had to yeah. deal with that
1: force. Yeah, it's leftover from the invasion Kundians in nineteen ninety-two. Re-
0: was that what it was?
1: I don't remember what book it was, but yeah, I remember it happening. And I was like, "Whoa, oh, hey, well. they're referencing
0: that invasion thing from when I was in high school." So,
1: was um, it maybe it was a Justice League International story? Maybe that's what it was because I was reading. That
2: sounds about right.
0: I was reading them a lot.
1: Uh, Booster and Beetle get some some hang time as pals mm-hmm, in this. Just mm-hmm, mm-hmm. nice. This is literally like right after the booster beetle, blue and gold team was assembled. Uh, so this is not very far into that. And of course the thing that makes it worth the whole, the whole price of admission, major force gets his butt handed to him by and Batman. By, by Batman. I think this is yours. Yes. I believe this belongs to you.
0: Actually, you said you enjoyed yeah. this. You enjoyed this series.
2: I did. Um, but I was, I was forewarned that it was, uh, kind of Weird. And kind of goofy, mm-hmm. and I uh, read the Wikipedia summary before, so I knew what I was getting into. So I enjoyed it. Um, I may have enjoyed it through the lens of this is probably what's going to be happening on television. Oh yeah, and yeah. you got to see a lot of cool, weird characters. Also, I have a really, I have a real soft spot for the Daxamites. Mm-hmm. So most of their stories are more contemporary. So seeing them in uh, you know a, a period piece essentially was really interesting to me.
0: Personally. Yeah, it's you know it's really weird when we think about the Daxmites because at this time Monel is locked away in the Phantom Zone, right? So Superman, not even probably remembering his Superboy adventures, of course, is all wiped out during a crisis. But you know, Monel is locked away in the uh, Phantom Zone, so any knowledge of who the Daxmites are, what their weaknesses are, any of that stuff, is not even I mean touched on in this book, which I found really amazing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the in the reformed DC universe, Lark and Monel actually appears soon after this, and if I'm not mistaken, the uh, Daxamite who sacrifices himself to send the message back to the home planet mm-hmm. is actually Mon's dad. Ah, cool! In in the new continuity, interesting, interesting, interesting. Yeah.
0: Um, I think bottom line for me, I like this book as a big event book. Because it doesn't require that you go out and buy all the individual issues. Kind of the same way with uh, (laughs) uh, Crisis was, where you weren't required to go out and do it, and you could still get a very solid story. There may be some weird bits and pieces here and there. But for the most part, DC did a really good job of keeping this all together so that if you just wanted to buy these three books, which you can in a collected edition, either on Comixology over on uh, Amazon, it reads just fine. And you get, you know, 100 and 200 pages of, of comics in this. So I really appreciate that. And for people who want to maybe get a little leg up on what's coming up uh, this year on the CW uh, network with the superhero shows, I think this is something to pick up. You might have some bad dreams about The Dominators, but, hey, it's part of, uh, part of the pop culture experience. Mm-hmm. What about you, Matthew? What are your final thoughts?
1: With a book that I experienced firsthand uh, in its time, it's always difficult for me to separate my enjoyment of something From 18 year old me's uh, love or hate of it. But this book really does hold up in a lot of ways. And I think part of that is the fact that this is the template for lots of crossovers to come. In a lot of ways, this is more a modern crossover than Legends, than Crisis on Infinite Earths. And it does it in a way that I think is really respectful to. The characters where some books aren't, you know, sometimes you get a crossover and it's like, here's two seconds of this. Or right now we're in the middle of a crossover where they are literally ruining Captain Marvel. Mm -hmm. And that's not happening here because all of the writers on the books seem to have at least a little bit of input. And whoever is coordinating this, much as with 52 that we, we liked as well, whoever's coordinating this seems to be coordinating it for the greater good and not necessarily using you know a character like I don't know Oberon, right? Who is Mister Miracle's pal? Uh, who is a little person? He's actually the action hero of the Justice League story that ties into mm-hmm, this. Mm-hmm. Oberon alone fights off a bunch a miniaturized, of
0: miniaturized coons, coons, miniaturized
1: coons, right? yeah. yeah. And it's a it's a really wonderful moment that does some really cool stuff. And you get quiet moments like the realization that Guy Gardner kind of has a crush on Ice, or. Mm-hmm you get animal man's weird realization, or you even get a little bit of Starman, who will Peyton Starman gets no love. I, I don't necessarily disagree. He's got a pink and yellow costume, but he gets no love. And here he's the incumbent star man. He's the man, he's the dude. And he gets to play a central role in the last mm-hmm. uh, third of it. So it's fascinating to see it as the beginning of the contemporary crossovers for good and ill. Would you recommend this? And I really. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I would recommend it to people who want to know what DC was like when I was a kid. What about you, Ashley? Would you recommend it?
2: I would recommend it to people who liked Crisis on Infinite Earths, know a fair amount about the DC universe, or are interested in seeing what's going to be happening in the four part (laughs) crossover. Um, I think it is a difficult story to just jump into, and I think it would be almost impossible. Uh, With no pre-existing knowledge of the world,
1: right? Just pick it up and open it. Yeah, that Uh because yeah,
0: suddenly you're introduced to what nine different alien races. That's gonna that's that in itself is a lot to comprehend and take in. Yeah.
1: Well, okay. So the pink ones are the Kundians. Right, right, right. I mean, I get it. I get it. Blue skin ones are the. Suddenly, if you're opening
0: a book and you're thinking, "Oh, it's going to be Superman and Batman punching these uh, yellow guys," it's not. Right. right? It's
1: like you got the ones with Justin Bieber hair are the (laughs) Daxamites. Oh, I thought you were talking about Guy Gardner. The ones who look like common <laughs> Rider Duble, those are the Scions. And yeah, it, it definitely is a lot to ingest. But I've always said when it comes to comics, you should treat comics like the Denny's breakfast. You should get the thing that has everything and eat a whole bunch of it. And if all of it doesn't make you sick, then you can decide next time which individual parts were the best.
0: Mm, okay. Um, yeah. i not sure I, I can recommend that. But I do think no. you could probably pick this up and try it out.
1: Well, you know, I, I, I got engaged in a Denny's. So oh, I well, there you go. Of it, so.
0: All right, everyone. That wraps it up for this issue. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, being part of the Major Spoilers experience. If you enjoyed this episode and if you found some value in it, please head over to Patreon.com slash Major Spoilers and consider being one of our patrons. Every little bit helps. It allows us to do shows like this week after week. I think we're going to hit 52, uh, 52 episodes this year of just this show. 52? I know, right? 52. Mm. Uh, so head over to patreon.com slash give us, major no, spoilers. spoilers. Patreon.com slash major spoilers. We'll be back next week to discuss the Ghoul Scouts because we know that you love comics and we do too. Boo.
1: Stop talking about comic books or I'll kill you.
0: And I don't care if Spider-Man's a clone Stop spending all our cash on back issues of The Flash Or I swear to God you're gonna spend your twilight years alone This podcast
2: is copyright 2016 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.